0: How's everybody? Great. Barbara's good. Everybody else is catching up. That's good. Before I start the message this morning, I've asked Judy Stanley to come. She is the chairperson of our missions committee. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. This is getting to be crunch time, getting ready for our mission trip. And so Judy's going to come and give you some information. There's a meeting later today she'll tell you about, some opportunities. If you're not going to be able to go to Piñitas with our a group that's heading down there, then uh, there's a way that you can be involved. And so we'll let her tell you about that. Judy? Okay.
1: Did anyone notice a chicken co- coop sitting out on the front lawn? Yes. Uh, thank you for noticing. <laughs> Some guys in our church uh, yesterday worked really hard to make the sample of the chicken coop that we're going to be taking to Panitas. We have four families that are going to be um, blessed by getting, um, actually, three are going to get chickens and a coop and everything that's involved with raising chickens. And another family that have chickens but no coop is going to get a coop. And so we brought it to show you what we're, part of what we're doing. That's called the Agri Hope Project. That's uh, just one thing in a list of things that we're going to be doing in Panitas. So we invite you to. Um, participate in several ways for one we're going to have a work day it's we don't have the date yet but we're going to have a work day where we cut all the pieces and assemble the side panels for each piece of the coop so that when we go there it's a lot simpler to put together and doesn't take much time Uh, so if you find out when we'll be advertising when we're doing that so you're welcome to help with that and um, we have baby chicks that we're going to adopt and foster until it's time To go to Panitas, so we're probably um, maybe even this Friday, we're going to be getting either thirty or forty baby chicks. And so, if you're interested in helping raise those chicks until July July eighth, basically is when we're leaving. So, if you want to help raise those, you could call the church and say, "Tell them I want to be a foster for baby chicks." or you could sponsor a chick if you, um, I think we have a display out in the foyer. And if you wanted to sponsor what it takes to provide a chick to those families, is $40 a chick. And if you do that, you get to name the baby, the baby chicken that they receive. And so each coop is going to have a wood plaque that has the names of all the chicks that have been, that y'all have chosen for those baby chicks. So, um, So that's another way. And then the cost of the coop, just the coop itself is $471 for the materials. And then we're providing them with two sacks of feed, a container for the feed, um, water hose, and a self-watering thing for the chickens. So we're giving them everything that they need. To raise chickens for themselves. And so as Butch put it this morning, we're not giving them a toy without the batteries. We're giving them everything. So uh so that's the opportunity. So any of those things, you'll also hear about some other humanitarian aid things that we're gonna be collecting to take with us. So that's it for today.
0: Meeting this afternoon.
1: Oh yes, and as the connections or whatever they call that little advertisement thing, we're meeting today at five o'clock in the Family Life Center. So if you're interested in going on the trip and you haven't told us that you want to, it's still not too late. Today we're going to begin um, getting registered online, and you could come and find out everything about what we're doing, the more specifics, and 5 o'clock in the Family Life Center.
0: Perfect. Thank you. So if you got lost in some of that and you want to help support that, you can take one of our offering envelopes, put out whatever you want to give to help. Pay for the chicken coops or the chickens or whatever, write chickens across the front of it, all right? And our folks will know exactly what to do with that, and we encourage you to be part of that. Uh, just a, a ground rule, if you're going to be naming chickens, no chicken gets the name Brother Mark, <laughs> just so you know. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of John, chapter 15, if you would, please. Please. I'll give you a little bit of uh, insight into how we run our lives in our family. On Fridays, when I have the opportunity to be off on Friday, then uh, I often will take Teresa in to work. She works um, over on the south side of Beaumont, basically. And, um, so I often, on Fridays, will take her in and we'll stop and get coffee. and um, Then I let her out so she can go to work always like watching other people work, so that does my heart good to sit while she goes in. And, um, and then I'll do whatever I have to do during the course of the day. Often, usually, when we do that, I'll go in and pick her up for lunch. And we'll go eat lunch together, and I'll take her back to work, pick her up afterwards, and we do whatever. But on a day really not all that long ago, just a few weeks ago, I picked her up. And, and the standard um, interchange that happens in our vehicle whenever she comes out for us to go to lunch is... I say to her, ask her this question. Where do you want to eat? Now, do you all have those conversations in your vehicle? All right, hate those conversations as a rule uh, because typically her head is still in business mode, right? And so she didn't know what she wants to eat yet. She hadn't thought about it. And so I'll, but out of courtesy, where do you want to eat? I don't know what do you want to do. So we make a decision. Well, on this particular day, I said, where do you want to eat? And her response was, you know, I was just talking to one of my coworkers and she tried a restaurant, a new place that, that serves soul food. And so I was thinking, and so before she could finish the thought, I said, what is soul food exactly? <laughs> I grew up in West Texas. Okay, you got me some slack here. But uh, so what is soul food? And she started this way. Well, she, this lady at work was talking about uh, collard greens and and... A couple of other things came out, and so we had Mexican that day instead of soul food. <laughs> but the, the soul food part of that uh, is, is really kind of one of those terms that is really big for us. One of my mentors in the ministry was both my pastor and my theology professor in college. Dr. Fred Meeks was a pastor of First Baptist Church in Plainview, when Teresa and I moved there as a young family with a three-month-old son. And when we moved to Plainview, we were coming out of a really difficult time in our lives. We talked about at some, my marriage was not great, and we'd been running from the Lord and from our call to ministry. And So when we finally decided we better do what the Lord told us to do, we went to Plainview and enrolled in Wayland Baptist University, not knowing anybody in town no point of reference. We were had been in Odessa, and we moved all the way up to Plainview, which is between Lubbock and Amarillo. And it was just a whole new start for us. And somebody told us early into that process, you really should go and visit First Baptist Church Plainview. It's a great church, and the pastor's an incredible guy. He's a great preacher. And so we visited there. Dr. Meeks came to our house and visited with us. And uh, so we joined there. And we're members there probably five or six months before We plugged into a church out in the farmland and started serving on staff, but during those few months that we were there, Dr. Meeks was a great pastor. He was an incredible preacher, and um, so when we left, it was hard for us to leave him and that church, and so I was really kind of elated, I guess is maybe the best way to say it, when Within a year after that, Dr. Meeks resigned as pastor at First Baptist Plainview, and he took on the role as professor of theology at Wayland Baptist University in the Christian Studies Division, which is where all of my work was being done. And so Dr. Meeks came back into my life at that point, and he became my professor, but even more than that, he became a mentor. In roughly 2007, after roughly 20 years, I guess, of being away from him, even though I have kept up with him and had you know, understanding of some things going on in his life. I didn't have direct contact with him for the most part until 2007, thereabouts. And uh, part of my education process, I had to go do a a conference. And so in the middle of the summer, I went to a conference in Colorado, a week-long deal. And we sat in, it was limited to 300 people. And so I sat in this small kind of a chapel thing. And I looked across and I saw Dr. Meek sitting back on the other side. And I thought, I need to go sit down with him. And so... I walked up to him, I said, I know you'll never remember who I am. And he said, Mark, I you know, you know, so it was a it was a good thing for me and a good kind of a reconnection with a man who really did a lot to help form me as a young minister. And so we started talking about how preaching especially had changed from the mid-80s to that point of time in 2007, roughly. And Dr. Meeks said this, he said, you know, Mark, one of the things that I tried to put into you guys is that you, it's one thing to have the opportunity to get up and preach. And he said, it's, it's nice to have the opportunity to say something. But he said, don't ever fall for just saying something. You need to have something to say. There's a big difference between just saying something and having something to say. And so we started talking about some of the stuff and some of the TV preaching that, that we were seeing and that I was studying at the time and And he said, here's the deal with most of that stuff. And this is the part that ties to where we're going today. He said, the problem with a lot of that fluff preaching is that it doesn't feed the soul. And God's people need to have their souls fed. They don't need to just hear a flowery sermon. They need something that helps them walk out of church and say, that helps me live this week. So let me just... Push it away from Dr. Meeks and my conversation and into your lap this morning and just ask you, how is it with your soul today? Are you regularly feeding in such a way that you have that energy and that point of focus in your Christian life to be able to move forward with confidence that you're doing and you're being all that God wants you to do and to be? In this chapter 15 of John's gospel, we come now to the final of the the statements of the sayings that Jesus makes. He has six previous times said... I am. And then he fills in the blank. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Uh, we, we've seen those. Things. I'm the bread. He, we've seen him as he lays those out as claims and as characteristics of, of who he is as the son of God as it comes to bear in his life with his disciples. And he comes to this last one. The seventh I am statement in John's gospel is one that actually reads very easily. Uh, it's It's It begs for some discussion, and we'll do that as we go this morning. But verse 1, simply verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. As we come to this, the the thing I want to keep pushing out in front of you this morning is the question, how is it with your soul today? Are you regularly feeding in such a way that you're able to do and to be what God calls you to do and to be in your Christian life? Here's, Here's the the thing I want you to take home with you. It's all wrapped up in verse 1, but as we work through verses 2 through 11, we'll see it as it just bubbles to the surface multiple times. Jesus provides the life force by which his followers can fulfill their God-ordained vocation. I'm going to come back and spend a little bit of time talking about vocation because I want to make sure that we get that part right. But I don't want you to miss the big overarching truth that we're talking about today. Jesus is the one who provides for you that life force, that the sap, if you will, to, to borrow the metaphor that he uses, that gives you the life and the ability that you need to be all that he calls you to do and to be. The idea of vocation is one of those things that's a little bit different for us. We, we talk about it. I used this on Wednesday night. We finished our study of the seven churches of Revelation, and I, I, try, I did kind of a trial balloon with our Uh, Wednesday night group about this word vocation to see where it goes and and I said so what is my vocation and nobody really had an answer for that you know what what is the vocation of a guy who works one day a week but you see there's part of our problem because we want to use the word vocation as if it only talks about our job and so in our church as we lay this open and I look across this as Kenny said roughly 800 people or so this morning Um, I see lots of different if we want to use that definition for vocation, we see lots of different vocations represented. Do we have people in the medical field? We have people who are full-time students. We have people who are full-time educators. We have people who are full-time work-at-home homeschool teachers. How did that go? I thought it was a great way to say it Wednesday night. Homeschool teacher, taxi driver, wife, mother, uh, all in one person. Our our vocation, if we want to just limit it to the job that we do, uh, is varied as we look across. But all of us share the common vocation if we call on Jesus Christ as Savior. It's not so much about the job as much as it is Well, let's just look at what the Oxford Dictionary has to say because there's some synonyms for this word vocation that I want us to get. Here's one of them. You should be able to see all of them here. It is our calling. It is our life's work. It is our mission in life. So let's just wear that for a second. If we all do different things, but we share as Christians a common vocation, and that vocation is our life purpose, what would you say that is? I like what N.T. Wright said in his most recent book, The Day the Revolution Began. He, he kind of gets onto this idea of vocation a little bit, and I love the way he says it because it puts us directly into the firing line of how life goes every day. And it puts us firmly in a position where we recognize the need for some soul food as we go forward. Otherwise, we find ourselves burning the candle at both ends and exhausting all of the resource that we have. N.T. Wright says it this way, we humans are called to stand at the intersection of heaven and earth. Let me stop for a second to make sure we get this because he's digging into a deep biblical tradition here. The Jews of the Old Testament as we know it first in the tabernacle and later in the temple believed that where God took up residence and where he regularly met with Israel in the tabernacle of the wilderness and then in the temple when it was built that was the place that God did business and if they wanted to deal with God it was at those places that they had to go. That's the intersection that he talks about here. It's the place where Jesus is going to say, I am the vine. We're going to talk about that more. Go back to N.T. Wright. We humans are called to stand at the intersection of heaven and earth where God meets us, so to speak. And then he goes on to say, we're called to hold together in our hearts, in our praises, and in our urgent intercessions. The loving wisdom of the creator God and the terrible torments of this battered world. What he says with that is that as we live out this vocation that we have, it's a war zone. On one hand, we have that soul-refreshing worship of God where we we come into the presence of God on a regular basis, ideally. Ideally. On the other side, we have those people, the the mess of life around us. Where sin does its best to wreck lives and to just chew people up, we're called to stand in the gap, to be in the middle between that. And so we represent God and Christ to those people, but we also are called to take those people to God and Christ. It, It is a heady concept that we might have that kind of role in the plan of God. But that's our vocation. We don't have the freedom, the luxury, of sitting back and being a passive Christian that just says, you know what, I got my fire insurance, I got all of that stuff in line, it's great to be part of the people of God, I'll just kick back and enjoy the ride. Our vocation argues against that. God's handiwork in us argues against that. So we take this idea of vocation and we move it into some of those other more common phrases that we use from Scripture. We've seen several times, you'll know this is part of who I am. We have that concept, we talk about love God and love people, which is biblical shorthand for a couple of really important passages of Scripture. They come to Jesus and they say, what's the greatest commandment of all? Jesus, as always, gives them more than what they ask for. And he says... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's from Deuteronomy. That's the Shema. That is one of the fundamental pieces of Jewish religious life. It communicates this one truth. All of your life is lived under the authority and in subjection, submission, and worship of God. Love the Lord your God with every piece of who you are. But Jesus gives them more than they asked for. It's not that that's not hard enough. Then he throws in the kicker. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you ever hear that verse and go, But God, if you knew my neighbor. The intersection between heaven and earth where God meets man He has put you and me in the firing line. That's our vocation. We worship and we witness. It all comes together like that. We could go to other passages, the Great Commission, where Jesus tells us, tells his disciples, make disciples. It's not enough for those guys to have walked with him for three plus years, to have learned all that they did from him, to see all that he did, the signs and the As we've said through this, the words and the works of Jesus in John's Gospel, is not enough. Jesus said, that's not enough for you. I didn't do that just so that you could feel good about yourself. Make disciples, he says. It's our vocation. Most notably, for me anyway, the way God has used it in my life, is this vocation comes to light over in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. The light of the world. Now let's be honest. With that vocation to which we are called, aren't there days when you'd rather just pull the shade down rather than be the light of the world? Aren't there days when you'd rather be the one sitting back and letting somebody else go to the front lines to fight? How do we avoid burnout in this thing called the Christian vocation? How do we keep our energy up? I'm looking across this room and some of the hardest working people I know in this world are in this room today. They are high energy. I mean, they get more done by eight in the morning than some of us get done all day long. Sometimes I watch them and I talk to them uh, and I sit in committee meetings with them late at night after I know they've been hard at it all day long and I wonder, how do these people not burn out? Jesus is going to say something as we move forward in this. It it is about him. He says, I am the vine. This is very much he's talking about who he is. But as we see in verses 2 through 11, he's going to take that and he's going to move it to some other things here. Let me just make sure that we get this right. First of all, he's making an extraordinary statement here. Because when he goes to this picture of the vine, he's pulling into a rich Old Testament heritage that identifies Israel as the vine. We find this a number of places. I'm not going to take the time to go there. You can see it in Psalms and Isaiah. And it seems like there's some in Ezekiel also uh, where Israel itself is pictured as this vine. And so when Jesus takes that metaphor and he pulls it over and he puts it on himself, it is not enough that he just says, I am the vine. Did you notice that? He didn't just say, I am the vine. He said, I am the true vine. Your translation may capture something of the original flavor of this, which actually pushes not just the word true as in not false. It is the one that says, I am the authentic vine. I am the vine that God always had in mind when he was planning how to relate to these people called people. Jeez, it's It's extraordinary those people who are listening with Jewish ears and this would have heard that and made that connection and it would have caused them to rock back just a little bit. But Jesus doesn't give them time to settle into that. He immediately turns and we begin reading now in verses two through 11. And I'm going to read that whole passage. I know it's a little bit long, but bear with me if you will. And listen for how many times Jesus uses the phrase abide in me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so with this, what we find is if I count right and, you know, I can conjugate a verb like nobody's business. Counting gets a little bit weird for me sometimes, but I think I saw at least seven different times in there. That Jesus comes back to this phrase, abide in me. He is talking about himself in verse 1. I am the true vine, the authentic vine. But he then moves to his disciples, which stretches through the centuries to us. And he says, if you're going to be my disciple, abide in me. Be connected to me. It's, that's, that's, that's something. My son and Sarah are here. And uh, it's a great thing. They cook like nobody's business. I always love it when they show up. I told you before, we have this standing deal with them. They decide what we're going to cook. We'll buy the the stuff and let them make magic happen. And so they came in late Friday night. And uh, yesterday evening, we had kind of a full day. By the way, yesterday was election day. I hope you voted. If you didn't, it's too late. We gathered around the kitchen area last night the four of us, Teresa and me and Sarah and Brandon. And Brandon started cooking for me and he made bison tacos. Now, I don't know if we're going to have those in heaven, but I vote yes. (laughs) Man, I love it. Now, I'm a little upset with him that he decided to go to culinary school after he moved out of my house. But I sure love it when they come and cook for us. And uh, so, while we were, (laughs) what is, oh, nice job, good, we have a crack media team back there, very good, that's it, that's it, you'll notice there's a bite taken out of it, I didn't want to, you know, put it on there if it wasn't any good, and so I took one bite and said, oh, that's got to go to the world right there. Excellent, nice job, Spencer. By the way, you can't hide what's on Facebook, just so you know so um, so we're standing around, and he marinated it in grapefruit juice, and man, it's so good, um, and so we're standing around the grill, he and I, and he 's cooking them up and I'm just standing there spending time with my son, which I love to do and I walk out on the side of the house because on the side of our house, uh, which is at that point where everything's happening at that point, is the back side of my garage, and when we bought the house. Uh, The previous owners had grown a vine up there and it, it came from one stalk in the middle, but it had covered the entire brick face there. And we kept that for a while until Teresa said, I'm done with that. And I walked outside and she was halfway through getting it all off of the wall. And so that was probably, I don't know, seven, eight months ago, something like that. And I hadn't really thought about it much since then. We got it all cleared off and moved out and disposed of properly and so while Brandon is cooking at the grill, I walked out on the side and, and I saw the wall and I was enjoying that it was clean looking. And then I looked up and in the eve where, where the roof comes down, there were hundreds of dead pieces of that old vine. They had worked their way in and dug into some of the the material that was there and When we pulled everything else out, they had lost contact and connection with the vine that fed them. And so all that was left was a vine carcass. Knowing what I was going to be preaching today, I just stopped and let that come flowing over me a little bit and realized this truth. Every time we gather together is possible and maybe even probable That we have people who have been cut off from the life-sustaining connection with Jesus Christ the vine. And we are those dead branches. You see, the reality is this vocation to which we are called is taxing. It is not easy. The reason it's not easy is because people are messy. We, We don't get the perfect scenario where we get to sit down with people who are not hard and don't have needs and are not driven to do things and use things and abuse things. We're just like them, so it doesn't make us better than them. But the reality is that we can so exhaust our own energies in doing our vocation, our ministry calling, that if we're not careful, we're the dead branches and we have nothing to offer. It is no accident that Jesus is giving this information probably hours, if not hours, then measured in a short period of days before he goes to the cross. He's about to go and exit, and everything about life for these disciples will be changed. And so the last I am statement he comes in is this one that says, I am your life force. I am the vine. Abide in me. So before we go any further, and I have a little more I want to say about this tonight, I'm going to just let us stop for a moment and see about how it goes with us. When you came in here today, was it just another Sunday? Well, I guess I'll go to church. Friends are there. Are you drawing life from Jesus the vine? Has life become a little bit ordinary for you? A little bit tough? The tough stage of your life. You know, we have lots of folks who just burn out trying to do for God. Maybe that's you today. Feel like your best days as a servant of God are long since behind you. I would say that Jesus has more for you than just that. It's great to be able to look backwards and see a lifetime of ministry, places where God used you in the life of the it would be a mistake to think that we ever get to a point that that's over in this life. Abide in the vine. Part of what Jesus says through this is that his branches, those who are abiding in him, bear fruit. I had this, I had this great opportunity yesterday to sit at the table, and I'm eating this food that Brandon made, and Sarah made, by the way. She did incredible stuff with it. She's the sauce boss, so she she does good stuff, and it's so I'm sitting there at the table and I'm eating the stuff that they put together. And sitting in the middle of the table is something that absolutely does not belong. It's a bowl. It's on a doily. Just wanted you to know I know the word doily. Uh, <laughs> it's sitting on this, in this bowl on this doily in the middle of our table and we have this great food all around it. And it's a stack of apples that are fake. You ever try to bite into a fake piece of fruit? I didn't. I know you're thinking I did, but I didn't do that. But it it just, I was drawn by the irony of that. We're going to decorate, and this is not on my wife at all. I, 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 that's been there a long time, and I have never thought about it until I'm sitting there with this great food, and I see that, and I think, and I'm thinking of this sermon, and I'm going So often, we settle for fake fruit in the Christian life. And part of the reason for that, I think, is because we suffer from the the tendency to take what Jesus offers and reduce it down to humanistic Christianity. I said it to somebody in a text exchange this week. We we know that God created created us in his own image, but... We've been trying to return the favor ever since, and so we try to make God to be in our image so that we can control him. That makes us God in our own eyes. And so when we get this idea of our vocation and what we're called to do, if we're not careful, we reduce that down to, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. And we begin to pull the strings, and we begin to say this is what it's going to look like, and we begin to produce fake fruit. When the real deal is sitting in front of us, we opt for the fake apples in the middle of the table. That food won 't feed you that food will not feed your soul. We need the life force that only Jesus can be that Jesus is to take us and take us through life. so let's begin to pull this down. Let me go ahead and ask our musicians to come on up as we move towards the finish today, but I want to make sure that we wear what is ours to wear here. The fruit that Jesus produces in and through us is thoroughly divine. There are a number of places here that I could pull out. Let me just pull a few of these very quickly as our musicians are getting ready. Look with me at verse 7. Because the fruit that he promises in this and the fruit that he gives to us in this, we find stated in one place in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, now let's stop for just a second. That conversation that I told you I was having with Dr. Meeks, where he talked about preaching and what it needed to be and what doesn't feed the soul, uh, some of the preaching that I hear tied to this verse sometime is the stuff he was talking about. We could easily read that verse in a humanistic Christian kind of a way. We could reduce that down to say, you see there, God's promised that if I'm a Christian, I can ask whatever I want and he'll give it to me. First of all, that'll never work. It'll never work. What does work is what he promised. This is one of those times, it's a good thing that we handle scripture well. Because what he promised here is if you ask and you get it, it's only because you're asking As you are abiding in him, I like to say it this way, don't ever ask for anything that he wouldn't ask for. Okay, but how do you know what he would ask for? You abide in him. Okay, if if he says, this is what I want for you, and you ask for that, you're coming in line with him. So much of our prayer is trying to get him in line with us. But that's trying to get him to abide in us rather than us abiding in him. That's a bigger conversation. Let's move on because of time. Here's another one, verse 9. Not only is there a fulfilled desire that comes, as we saw in verse 7, there's also a life that is marked by by love. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. It's a good time. I'll just bring you back to a basic definition of love that I use. It's important because this messy people thing moves us to lose our love for people, if we had it in the first place. You know what I'm talking about? You know the knucklehead who cuts you off while you're trying to drive into town? You know those family members or those neighbors or those people who just get under your skin? It's easy for us to lose love for people. So let me remind you of what God's love looks like. It is a love that reaches across and invests in another person Whether they deserve it or not, and elevates them to a place that they could never get on their own. That's love. That's God's love for us. The best picture of that is Jesus Himself. God loved the world so much that He reached the cross, and He gave His Son, and He invested His love in people so that we might have everlasting life. Do you love people that way? Or have you had enough people for a while? See, ministerial burnout is not limited to preachers. It happens to preachers, it's not limited. You gotta have something that feeds your soul. And the only thing that does that adequately is a personal, vibrant, living relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have that? You know, one of the other pieces of fruit, I'm not going to take the time to talk about it, is joy. Do you have the joy of Christ in your life? Do you wake up in the morning and go, Oh, Lord, it's another day. What do you do with all of this? Let me ask you to bow your heads, if you will. We go in the time of prayer and commitment and invitation. As always, the issue is what do you do with what you've seen in God's word today. If you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way, if you've never come to that point of a relationship with him where you surrender to him and allow him to be Lord in your life, we say that a lot of different ways in church. We talk about asking for forgiveness of sins. That must happen. That must happen. We have to recognize that our sin, our sin nature, separates us from a holy God. But that holy God doesn't want it to stay that way. His love says, I sent the fix for you. So um, do you have that fix? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, that's where you start today. It's it's as simple as a prayer that says, "I, I don't Christ I don't, I don't even understand all of this but I understand that I'm separated from you I need you in my life I want the life that you give to me and whatever it takes for me I'm willing to do that as I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior please forgive me most of us have done that if you haven't and you want to do that today it's a great time you can do it right there where you're sitting I'd be happy to counsel with you during this invitation time most of us have done that So for the rest of us, the question is, are you connected in today? Are you abiding in Christ? Or did you come in here tired of the whole thing? This whole Christian ministry vocation thing has run its course for you. I would say to you, plug back in. I'm not talking about plugging into church, so that may be part of it. I'm talking about plugging into Jesus because he will give you life. Father, change lives now is our prayer in Jesus' name.